0: So last week, as Todd was wrapping up the Song of Solomon, he uh, referenced this idea of repentance. He read Psalm 51 17 and said that God always welcomes the repentant when they return. God always welcomes the repentant when they return. And isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? This morning, we're gonna pick up where Todd left off and dive a little deeper into this concept of repentance. So that sounds fun, right? What comes to your mind when you think of repentance? When you hear the word repent? Is it this? (laughs) Repent, the end is near. Repent, turn or burn. (laughs) So maybe it's just me, but when I hear that word repent, I kind of shrill, like, oh my goodness. And I have flashbacks to moments where, where I've experienced the cardboard uh, write-ups, right? And if anyone's going to do a cardboard write-up, ask Ashley to do it because her handwriting is fantastic. But this is the image that comes to mind for me when I think of repentance. Someone standing on a street corner, angrily, arrogantly yelling, repent, the end is near. But what if, biblically speaking, repentance is more in line with Romans 2.4, which says, Or do not presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. What if the tone of repentance is more of a kind and patient God rather than an angry, arrogant human? Today we want to, in our time together, reframe our understanding of what repentance is and clear up some misunderstandings and misapplications. So if you're a note taker, simply we're going to ask four questions. We're going to see what repentance is, who repentance is for, why repentance is essential, and how we can grow in a regular rhythm of repentance. But as we begin, let's go to the Lord and ask for his help this morning. So Father, I just confess to you uh, my weakness and inability... Uh, and as the, the gospel-saturated songs that we just sang, they, they point us to the one who is able, the one who is better. So this morning, Lord, through what we look at together, would you remind us of who you are, of what you've done, and would you reshape our hearts to live more in line with what you call us to be and who you, what you call us to do? So Lord, would you soften our hearts this morning, would you open our eyes, and would you be pleased by your spirit to do a work that we cannot take credit for. In your good name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So let's first ask and answer, what is repentance? So we'll start in Mark chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, Mark is one of four what we call gospels that start out the New Testament. And unlike Matthew and Luke, which give us a a full account of Jesus' birth, uh, Mark just dives right in. He he fast-forwards to the adult life of Jesus. So if you look at Mark chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 14. And in Mark 1.14, we hear Mark's first recorded message of Jesus. So before Jesus calls any of his disciples, before he heals, before he does any miracles, there's a fundamental foundational message that Jesus wants to get across. So Mark 1.14 says this, now, After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. So the first message of Jesus, right out of the gate, is a proclamation of the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done, is doing, and will do for his people. So Jesus, right out of the gate, proclaims the gospel. That's how he launches his earthly ministry. Specifically, verse 15 goes on, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. So not only is the, the gospel of God good news that people need to hear, but there's another earth-shattering reality at play. God's kingdom is here. Jesus is putting us all on notice that a new kind of kingdom is now breaking in because a new kind of king is now here. So, in light of the gospel of God, in the wake of the inbreaking kingdom of God, what might Jesus say next? Well, he continues. Verse 15 goes on to say, He gives us an invitation to respond to this wonderful news of the gospel in the kingdom. And here's the response Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Can you say that with me? Repent and believe and believe. That's response number one. Before anything else is said, before anything else is done, this is what Jesus calls us to first. The initial most fundamental response to Jesus, his gospel, and his kingdom is repent and believe. And these are two sides of the same coin, repent and believe. To repent is to turn Repent and believe often go hand in hand, which we'll unpack a little bit later. But for now, let's drill down a bit deeper into this idea of repentance and clear up a serious misunderstanding. So here's misconception number one about repentance. Repentance is not first action-oriented. Repentance is first thinking-oriented. Here's a definition for you. Repentance is a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction and action. Repentance is not first action-oriented. It's first a change of mind, right? Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's as we encounter truth about God, our thinking begins to change, and we start seeing things differently, right? We understand God more clearly and see his grace more deeply as our thinking is changed, We begin to see ourselves more accurately and our sin more severely as our thinking changes. Repentance begins when truth captures and changes our minds and then funnels down into our hearts, which also begin to change. So not only are we now seeing things differently, but we begin loving things differently or loving different things altogether. Our affections change, as do our longings and our desires and our motivations. And as our minds and our hearts change, we can now begin to change direction in our lives. Turning from sin, turning to God. And when our direction changes, our actions begin to follow. So that's repentance. Repentance was the initial call of Jesus And it it continues to be his call to each one of us today. But it's not a call to try harder and do better. It's a call to surrender. In response to God, his gospel, and his kingdom, we surrender to him. Repentance is not first a change of action. Repentance is a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction and action. So that's what repentance is. Now, next question, who is repentance for? <clears throat> Who's repentance for? Well, the short answer is everyone. Okay, can you say everyone? Everyone. I'm included, you're included. Everyone needs to repent. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Does that sound familiar to what we just looked at in Romans 2.4? He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Repentance is for everyone. But here's another misconception that needs to be cleared up. Repentance is not a one-and-done activity. Repentance is a lifelong response. Repentance is not merely the way a non-Christian becomes a Christian, though that's true. A non-Christian must repent to become a Christian. But repentance is more than that. Repentance is a posture towards God that we adopt at conversion and continue to practice our entire lives in Christ. Let me say that again. This is important. Repentance is a posture we adopt at conversion and continue to practice our entire lives in Christ. Just like we never move on from the gospel, you hear us say that all the time, we don't move on to the gospel. We just go deeper down into it. Just like we never move on from the gospel, we never, never, ever move on from repentance because repentance is our right response to God and his gospel. So those of us in this room this morning who aren't yet in Christ, in order to become a Christian, to be adopted into God's family, you must repent and believe in the gospel. But the good news is you don't have to initiate that experience. Acts eleven eighteen 18 says that God is the one who grants repentance that leads to life. God is the one initiating your repentance, and it will lead to life. So receive that gift this morning and respond to God in repentance today. Maybe you might hear Jesus call directly to your heart this morning, as he said in, in Mark 11, where he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, you repent And believe in the gospel today. So maybe you need to repent initially today, and that is is fantastic. We'd love to help you do that. But for those of us who have already responded to Jesus' initial call to repent and believe, what might He be calling us to today? Simple answer repent and believe. Again, repent and believe, repent and believe. Repentance is a call to both non-Christians and to Christians. We become Christians through repentance, and we continue as Christians through repentance. All right, any historians in here? Anyone good at history? Okay, sweet. Does anyone know what happened on October 31st, 1517? Halloween. Okay. Yeah, nailed it, dude. Yeah. Were they celebrating Halloween back in 1517? Well, either way, Martin Luther on October 31st, 1517, nailed his 95 theses, 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 theses to the door of the Wittenberg chapel in Germany. So this was a document of concerns that he had and wanted to debate the the, the leaders of the Catholic Church on uh, regarding to some uh, unhealthy things that he saw in the church's practice and theology. So Luther's move to do this was, was quite radical, and the Lord used it, I think, to spark a worldwide movement of Protestantism, a movement into which we've been brought into today. But do you know what the first thesis of the 95 theses was? Back there. All of life repentance. Thank you, Susan. Martin Luther, 95 things. The first thing he says is this. When our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, said repent, which we just looked at, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. The entire life, not one and done, not bits and pieces, the entire life of believers is to be one of repentance. Remember, repentance is a posture we adopt at conversion and continue to practice our entire lives in Christ. So, kids, let me ask you a question. We're glad that you're here with us this morning, too, by the way. Super simple quiz, three questions. Ready? What do fish do? Man, you guys are sharp. Yeah, you're ready to go back to school tomorrow, huh? Yeah. So fish swim. What do birds do? Man. Parents, you got some sharp ones in here. Fish swim, birds fly. What do Christians do? Man, you guys are all fantastic. Excellent. I heard someone say this once. I I can't remember where or who, but someone once said, and it stuck with me, birds fly. Fish swim, Christians repent. It's what we do. It's how we navigate life through our spiritual environment. In light of the gospel, in the wake of the kingdom, followers of Jesus, Christians, those who are in Christ, we are people who repent. So we've seen what repentance is, who repentance is for. Next, why is repentance essential? And specifically, we're going to ask, why is repentance essential for Christians? Okay, Why is repentance essential for Christians? Let me give you three reasons. I'm sure there are many more, but here are three that, that I thought of. So first, repentance is a vital sign of life in a believer. Repentance is a vital sign of life in a believer. Matthew 3 8, uh says that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So how do you know if you're alive in Christ? How do you know if you're growing healthy in Christ? You look for the fruit of repentance in your life. Like any tree, you gauge its life and its health by what you see, right? Is there any fruit on this tree? Is it healthy fruit? If not, it's likely a dead or dying tree, right? So if you've been made alive in Christ, the fruit of repentance will grow in your life. You'll bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But not only will you bear fruit once, you'll keep on bearing fruit. For those who are in Christ, and I assume that's uh, many of us in this room today, For those who are in Christ, repentance is to be a regular rhythm in our life. And if it stops becoming a regular rhythm, our patient and kind God will use his word, his spirit, and his people to lead us back into repentance. In other words, you'll repent of your lack of repentance, right? Repentance is a beautiful gift. It's a kindness from God to those who are in Christ. So if you are not regularly repenting, and if you're not being led to repent of your lack of repentance, it may be a sign, it may be a sign, I don't know, but it may be a sign that you don't yet have life in Christ. And that's okay, you, you can come to him today, you can repent and believe for the first time today. Repentance is a vital sign of life in a believer. Secondly, repentance is a primary means of growth as a believer. It's a primary means of growth as a believer. Without repentance as a regular rhythm in our lives, we'll become stunted and stall out in our spiritual growth. We'll become stunted and stall out if repentance isn't a regular rhythm because Repentance is a means of grace that underlies and actually unlocks so many of the other spiritual practices that we engage in. So take Bible reading, for example. Without repentance, change of mind, change of heart, resulting in change of direction and action, how effective will Bible reading actually be? You'll read some stories, you'll see some history, you'll gain maybe some theological insight but what good is reading the Bible if your mind, heart, direction, and actions don't ever change? But with repentance, unlocking the Bible for us, with repentance, Bible reading becomes transformative. As the Spirit of God opens our eyes and convicts our hearts, He changes us and conforms us through the truth of His Word. Tim Keller has said uh, that pervasive, all-of-life repentance is the best sign that we are growing deeply and rapidly in the character of Christ. So how do you know if you're growing? You look at your life of or lack of repentance. But I think it's important that we change our perspective on the size and scope of repentance. Here, here's another misconception. Repentance shouldn't be viewed as this big thing. It's it's it, it's not always a big thing. It's not like going on vacation where you save up all year and then go do something once a year. Repentance is not like that. Repentance is more like brushing your teeth. Something you do daily, hopefully, right? Something you do multiple times a day, ideally, As Christians, we repent of big things, sure. We repent of small things, and we repent of anything in between. Repentance shouldn't be viewed as this big thing. It's subtle and often small, but it's essential. As the sermon title today says, we repent, rinse, and repeat. Repent, rinse, and repeat. It's something we do every day, multiple times a day, as the Spirit leads us into repentance. So maybe that's an application for you. This is kind of silly, but as you're brushing your teeth this week, every time you brush, whether it's once a day, twice a day, three times a day, use it as an opportunity to repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance need not be a big thing. We repent of the big things and the small things. So why repentance? Well, it's a vital sign of life. It's a primary means of growth. And third, this is really important. Repentance affects our experiential relationship with Christ. Repentance affects our experiential relationship with Christ. A sense of deep communion and fellowship with Jesus will not be experienced if we're not regularly repenting of our sin. Now, don't hear me say that our sin affects our standing and security if we're in Christ. In Christ through the gospel, we are absolutely safe and secure for all eternity due to our union with Christ, right? Nothing, Scripture says, no one, Romans 8 says, can change that. Not even our sin or our selfishness. But our capacity to enjoy the fruit of our union of our union with Christ, our ability to feel, to sense, to rest satisfied in all that he's given to us in the gospel is greatly affected, positively or negatively, by our repentant or unrepentant response to God. Repentance affects our experiential relationship with Jesus, and we'll see this momentarily in the story of David. So repentance or lack of repentance absolutely affects our communion, our experience of communion and fellowship with Jesus. So some of you today, you feel distant from God. Repentance may be the way back to closeness. There may be other factors involved, but repentance could be a first start if you feel distant from God. Others of us in here, and and I'll throw myself in this camp, Uh, Some of our affections for God, our affections have grown cold towards the Lord. Repentance is likely the way back to warmth and relationship and communion with him. And some of us in here are running purposely away from God. And repentance is absolutely the path back for you today. Come on home, Jesus is saying. Repent and believe in the gospel and experience deep relationship with me, Jesus is saying. All right. So, last question. How do we repent? <laughs> ah, I love it. We're going to answer that that deep long pause for you, brother. All right. So, how do we repent? It seems overwhelming, right? Oh my goodness, what do I do? How do I do this? Where do I start? But let me break it down for you. I think it's it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty simple. And We're going to use this illustration of a trampoline. Has anyone ever jumped on a trampoline before? Has anyone ever broken a bone on a trampoline before? Sweet, respect back there, man. All right, any parents have recently jumped on a trampoline? Yes, all right. All right, how does a trampoline work? Someone explain it to me. Okay, you jump on it. Yeah, Kai. Elasticity. That's exactly how it works. Thank you, Kai. So there's, there's springs and elasticity. That's the best word I've said all day. And when you jump on it, you go down, and the Newton's law propels you up, right? The deeper you go down, the higher you go up. So when my kids were young, uh, Brooke, I think, was four. Uh, Nora was two. Callie was just born. My mom got us a trampoline. And uh, it was so cute watching them go out and try to figure it out. And at two and four years old, you're about, you know, 20, 30 pounds, they were just kind of like, right? There was no depth and no height. But now if they were to go out as a 10, 8, and 6-year-old, they go down pretty far and up pretty high, right? And if I were to go out as a full-grown man, the, the experience would be even greater, right? And I would probably end up in the hospital. <laughs> the deeper you go down the higher you soar up. Repentance is kind of like that in the life of a believer. So take a look at this image. This this is not original to me. Um, I I stole this from someone somewhere, but I find it helpful. We're going to kind of walk through this together, and I think this is how we repent. So notice a few things. So first, at the top, if you can see it, there are two important gospel realities. I am completely sinful on one hand, yet in Christ I am simultaneously fully accepted. So both of these realities, simultaneously sinful and accepted, must be held together. That's the tension that we're talking about here. That's the starting point. Then flowing from these gospel realities, you see the two arrows, one down, one up. So we, we bounce down in repentance and we soar up in faith. And as we just talked about on a real trampoline, the deeper you drop in repentance, the higher you can soar in faith. So as the Spirit leads you and grows you and you age in your faith and you put on more spiritual weight, you begin to not only repent of the surface sins, which are things that people can see, things that just come right to mind, but you also begin repenting of the deeper things, the the source idols, the things that are in our heart that affect everything we do And unless you spend time getting there, you don't know what's actually operating inside of you. So the deeper we can drop into some of the source idols, the higher we're propelled in faith. And many of you have been there. You have gotten down to the core of things, and the Lord has just propelled you up in faith beyond what you ever thought was possible. Because that's how a trampoline works. All right, look on the left-hand side. Notice the three phrases that accompany repentance. So we see our sin, we own our sin, and we turn from our sin. This is how we repent. So what I want to do, I want to walk through each of these phrases using the story of David from the Bible. And and we're we're given some insight into David's journey of repentance through a few psalms that he wrote after his infamous infidelity and murder to cover it up experience. Anyone remember that from the Bible? Infidelity, murder, the Lord eventually led him to repentance. The two Psalms we're going to look at are David's reflections on that experience. So let's start with Psalm 51. And specifically, we'll look at verses 1 through 5. And as we read this, I want you to notice how David saw his sin and how he experienced heartfelt conviction over his sin. So, Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 5. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you, against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So David sees his sin, doesn't he? In verse 3, he acknowledges that it's ever before him, Verse 4, he sees that his sin is first and foremost an offense against God. In verse 5, that it's, it's much more than a surface sin. It's more than a behavioral issue. But there are some source idols of sin spun deep into the fabric of his being. Here in Psalm 51, we see David's deep sorrow over his sin. We don't see any defensiveness in this passage, do we? Defensiveness can often be our default mode, and if you know David's story, it was certainly his initial response when being confronted. Defensiveness, we don't see any of that here. We see a heart of repentance that sees his sin. And what we can gather from this is that the Lord had led him into repentance through his kindness, had led David into repentance. And then from a heart of repentance, David sees his sin and is deeply convicted about it. Both he and we are in desperate need of God's Spirit to open our eyes, to see our sin, and to lead us into heartfelt conviction over our sin. So that's the first thing. See your sin. Because from there, we can go on to own our sin. Own our sin through open and honest confession of it. Turn to Psalm 32, Psalm 32. This is another Psalm that David wrote reflecting on his repentance. Psalm 32, again, we'll look at verses one through five. David writes, "'Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, "'whose sin is covered. "'Blessed is the man against whom the Lord "'counts no iniquity.'" in whose spirit there is no deceit. For, and and David is talking about initially here, his initial response, for initially when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But then verse five, eventually, David continues, Eventually, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Verses 3 and 4 in this psalm are striking, and they're startling. Because what David is saying is that apparently there can be a connection between unconfessed sin and our own physical health. Not just spiritual health, but physical health can be affected by unconfessed sin. When we don't own our sin, our sin can and will, in various ways, own us. When we don't own our sin, our sin can and will own us. One writer and pastor has said about these verses, he says this, What we see here is a law of life in God's world. If you bottle up sin in your soul, it will eventually leak out like acid and eat away at your bones. Unconfessed, unrepentant sin is like a festering sore. You can ignore it for a while, but not forever. Yikes, right? So many of us have been there. I can look around. Many of us have stories of of concealing sin, hiding sin, and eventually it just eats away at our soul and our mind and our bodies until we repent. Some of us in this room are here right now. There is sin eating away at your soul and maybe affecting your body. And others of us will eventually get there if we don't repent and believe today. The truth is, if we don't confess our sin and own our sin Our concealed sin will own us. But here's a beautiful reality of the gospel. 1 John 1 9, right? Let's read this together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen to that, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive and will cleanse so in repentance we not only see our sin and experience a heartfelt conviction but we must own our sin we own it through honest confession and this is the opposite of rationalization right is anyone good at rationalizing your sin maybe it's just me i feel exposed up here i guess it's just me we are all good, I think, maybe it's just me, at rationalizing our sin. Eh, it's not that bad, right? It's not that bad. Sure, I did this, but look at all this other great stuff I've done. Or here's a fun one. I only did this because this person did that. right? And there are countless other varieties of rationalization. Repentance is the antithesis of rationalization. And just like defensiveness, which we're all prone to, rationalization is a sin that must be repented of as well. Someone once said that real repentance begins where rationalization ends. And I think Jesus would agree. Jesus would invite us today to stop making excuses for our sin, but to see our sin, to own our sin, and then to turn from our sin, to turn from our sin. So as we said at the beginning, repentance is a change of mind and heart that leads to a change of direction and action. And as we're pointed in this new direction with the help of the Spirit and the help of God's people, we make a commitment to turn and walk away from our sin as we turn and walk towards Jesus. We make a commitment We make a commitment. It's something you must decide to do. We make a commitment to turn from our sin. But here's the key. In repentance, we don't just see, own, and turn from our sin. We must simultaneously see, turn, and walk towards our God, right? We can't just look at our sin. How devastating and defeating is that, right? In the face of our sin, we must look all the more to the face of our Savior. If you've been in regen or or are in regen, you'll hear us say often, for every one look you take at your sin, we must take 10 looks at our Savior. It's a 1 to 10 ratio. And, And you look at your sin a lot in regen. And as Christians, that's what we do. We look at our sin. We see it, we own it, and we turn from it. But for every one look you take at your sin, take 10 looks at your glorious Savior. Because as we dive down in repentance, as the diagram shows us, it's our faith in God and the gospel that propels us upward. And if you look on the right-hand side, there's at least four gospel realities that that ground us in our repentance. These realities accompany and fuel our faith. So on the right-hand side, it says, Jesus lived for me. Amen to that, right? Jesus died for me we sang this in our songs this morning. God sees Jesus in me. Hallelujah. And Jesus lives in me. So let's bring this all together. Leave this diagram up. So I must see my sin. Yes, right? It's deep down inside of me. It's pervasive. It's an issue. I must see my sin, but by faith, I can simultaneously believe that because Jesus lived for me, because Jesus died for me, I can see my sin on Jesus laid. It's a great hymn. See all your sin on Jesus laid. No longer am I a slave to sin because of Christ. I can now see that I'm free. And as a result, I can now own my sin, openly, honestly confessing it, because not only am I now alive in Christ, but God sees Jesus in me. So all my failures, all my shortcomings, no longer define me. I'm defined by Christ in his perfect righteousness. So because of that, I don't need to hide. I don't need to pretend. I don't need to become defensive, though I do often. I don't need to become defensive or try to rationalize my sin away. Instead, I can say in worship and thankfulness to Jesus, Because you, Jesus, have covered my sin and absolved it, I can uncover my sin and no longer hide it. Because you, Jesus, have covered my sin and absolved it, I can uncover my sin and no longer hide it. And I can now turn from my sin as well. As I'm dropping deep, I'm propelled up because Jesus, by his spirit, now lives in me. And because of my new life in Christ, a new direction with new actions is now possible. I'm now able to turn from my sin to Jesus. I can now commit to a regular rhythm of repentance because Jesus has committed himself eternally to me. And has placed his very spirit, the very spirit of Jesus has been placed in you if you're in Christ. And through his kindness, he leads us to repentance. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is what frees us to be people of repentance. As we gaze upon the realities of what he has made possible to us, what he has done for us, we'll find our minds and our hearts and our direction and our actions changing as we drop deeper in repentance and soar higher in faith. So Melanie Park, family and friends, uh, may we hear clearly the call of Jesus today. Just as he spoke thousands of years ago when he launched his ministry, the call to repent and believe in the gospel. And may we be people who bear fruit in keeping with repentance as God through his gospel propels us upward, higher than ever before in faith. All right, I'm gonna pray and then the band's gonna come up and lead us in one more song that'll help us repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the call that is kind and patient and filled with grace to repent and believe. For each one of us in this room today, wherever we find ourselves, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us take a step toward you, away from our sin, as we walk daily in repentance. So give us the grace that we need. In your good name, Jesus, we pray, amen.